Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Justin and Suffering Podcast, New York Sports Talk, and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are going to get caught up on the latest from March Madness. It was a wild first weekend. I'm going to be joined just a bit by Troy Moriello from the Seeing Red Podcast and the Card Show. We're going to break it all down, talk about the headlines, the upsets, the winners, the losers. Get ready for the Sweet 16 this week, including a regional Madison Square Garden with four fun teams coming to the, to the Mecca on Thursday and Saturday. Also, give me a two-minute drill. My grievance is with the World Baseball Classic. And, yes, I'm a fan. You know, I'm salty with the Edwin Diaz injury. But I do have some other issues with the tournament as well. So, I'll air those at the end of the podcast. Like you hear in the Justin Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform, and follow up with us there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well up at the podcast. Even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the conversation with Troy is up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We're going to take a look at the latest on the Jets' Aaron Rodgers situation. He is coming here, but a matter of when, that's going to come up here right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Here we go. All right, opening tip time here, and the wait for the Jet fans is almost over for their quarterback. When we last spoke, Aaron Rodgers had not made up his mind yet. We wanted to play for the Jets, whether he wanted to stay in Green Bay or just retire. The smoke signal did come up shortly after we dropped the podcast. He's going to be on Pat McAfee's show on Wednesday to fill the world in on what was going on. He had a rambling intro at the darkness retreat, how the Packers treat their stars at the end, how he's 90% retired going into the darkness, and a lot, blah, 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 blah. Big thing is, Rodgers revealed that he does intend to play for the Jets in 2023. Funny thing about that, Rodgers said he decided a few days ago, prior to that interview, that he made the decision to go to the Jets. He decided on Friday, he said, the deal is being held by the Packers, who wanted better compensation than the Jets, their star quarterback. And the Packers undoubtedly want that first-round pick the Jets have this year for number 13. The Jets have no reason to give it up, though. Aaron Rodgers is not going to go anywhere else. He's not going to Vegas. They signed Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not going to go to Tennessee. He's not going to go stay in Green Bay. They have to find what they have in Jordan Love. The Jets are the destination. So Joe Douglas is smart, saying, you know, like, I know he's coming. I'm going to get him. We're going to get the compensation agreed on here down the line. I'm not going to get the 13th pick of the draft for a guy who might have for a year or two. That's ridiculous. My best on point within the next week or two, we get this trade agreed upon. I think the Jets, the second round pick this year, number 43 overall is going to Green Bay. Conditional pick next year. I'd say it starts maybe a three, gets to a two pretty easily, goes to a one them in the Super Bowl. Maybe you throw a player in there, maybe Denzel Mims doesn't have a fit on the roster anymore. Maybe Corey Davis, they want a veteran receiver. Something like that, I think that's the package. Greens want to have a pick in, from this year's Jets draft because if Rodgers gets here, he does well as we think he's going to do, the Jet picks are going to be much lower next year than they are now. You want the Jet one next year? It might be 30. You want the Jet one this? You got the Jet two this year. It's 40, 43. Jet two next year is going to be in the 60s, potentially. So, you want those a pick this year? It's going to have some value for you. It could be a starter for you if you get it right. Once this thing gets done, it's not a matter of when, not if. 
It's a big win for the Jets. They landed the big fish. Who gives them a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl next year? They had tunnel vision on far on uh, Aaron Rodgers. They went out and met with him. They sold him the vision. He's giving them some input on guys he wants them to consider bringing in. They've already brought in Alan Lazar. He might have more on the way. There's a lot of excitement here. And for all the people saying, oh, this is deja vu. Brett Favre did poorly, blah, blah, blah. Remember this. The New York Jets were 8-3 with Brett Favre. They went and beat the last undefeated team in the NFL at the Tennessee Titans on, in Nashville. They looked like a Super Bowl contender. But what happens then? Brett Favre gets hurt. He tears his biceps. He hides it from the team because he wants to extend his second game streak. Plays probably down the stretch. They go from 8-3-9-7 on the playoffs. You know the rest from there. Aaron Rodgers is a top-five quarterback in the league right now. He's at the level of guys like Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, whoever else he brings in here. Free agents are also going to come to the Jets with Rodgers to try and win. The Jets have an easier time filling their needs at destination. They have plenty of cap space in the future to play with. Joe Douglas is structuring contracts smartly when they see the cap going up that larger hits to deal with. But very exciting time to be a Jet fan. We'll keep an eye on this going forward. and will give you an update after the trades. Then we can discuss the conversation. But up next, we're going to talk March Madness with Troy Moriello. Uh, all about what we saw on the first weekend here right after this. We are back here. March Madness is well underway. We are through the first round. Sweet 16 is set. Last year we did this. I ripped my bracket in half. I don't have to do this this year because I'm still <laughs> doing pretty well. But with the again to break it all down, we had some fun last week previewing the bracket. Troy Morell is here. Troy, how are you? I'm doing all right, Mike. Uh, my bracket's not looking as, as good as yours. I thought Duke would make a little bit of a run, and uh, they kind of let me down. But I'm um, hanging in there, I guess, in terms of the bracket. But uh, entertaining weekend of games, of course, you know, uh, like we said, you know, a lot of close games, maybe not some great finishes, but a lot of really close, good games between really good teams, couple of upsets, you know, really the, the nice mixture of everything that you want with March Madness, you know, some top teams get knocked out, Purdue, Kansas, a uh, couple make it through. So we kind of have a nice mixture of the Cinderella type teams, you know, I don't know if you call FAU a Cinderella, but Princeton for sure. And then of course, you know, the awesome matchups, uh, Gonzaga, UCLA, games like that. So I'm really looking forward to the next weekend of, of March Madness for sure. Yeah, I'm going to knock on a little wood here because I do have all four of my Final Four and seven of the Elite Eight <laughs> still in the bracket. So, like, <laughs> I know that means it's probably going to go horribly wrong in the next, like, four days. But, you know, while I still have it, I, I can take the South. I've got the most projected points left in the pool. Yeah, and that's, that's impressive because, I mean, in a year where you did see, I, I think only maybe nine of the top 16 – seeds that the NCAA seeded actually made it through to the the sweet 16 like that's that's an impressive uh, accomplishment for sure you know uh there, there was a lot of upsets like we mentioned the big one with Kansas and then Purdue I, although I think everyone kind of thought Purdue was getting knocked off early at some point well, we, uh but we, yeah that's definitely impressive yeah we did up Purdue we were just around early <laughs> yeah we, we were yeah and I, I thought honestly I thought Memphis was going to be the one to uh to knock them out and I was Wrong about that. Obviously, FAU beat Memphis, and then Purdue gets knocked out. But yeah, I think we somehow even like overrated Purdue if that was possible because we weren't really giving them any props, and then they still somehow came short of expectations. Yeah, they certainly did here. And I will also point out the one team I did not get in the Elite Eight was Duke because I was right there with the other Duke was going pretty far, and then they just got throttled by Kentucky and I do I mean, by uh, Tennessee, and then 
They did not get much help in that game because they got mugged that entire game. Oh, they did, yeah. Uh, and Tennessee just, just beat them up physically. I mean, 52 points uh, on that Duke team. Tennessee, you know, really they cut down on the turnovers, which was a big problem with them with Zakai Ziegler out. Um, they just bullied them for sure. And and that I did not see that coming. I thought Duke was going to roll Tennessee, actually, because, you know, Tennessee had not been playing great. And Duke, uh, winners of 10 in a row, that kind of shows you in March. It's just so hard to predict what's going to actually happen in these games. Uh you know, I thought Duke was just going to basically roll to the Final Four, especially when you look at Purdue getting knocked off. Uh, I thought they'd be going to the Garden and, and winning a couple games in the Garden in an East region that is not very strong. You know, you saw Marquette get knocked out as well, so you have the top uh, two seeds out of that region. I thought Duke was going to roll, and uh, they just, you know, like I said, it's just so hard to predict March. It's so hard to really, really take what you see in the last couple of weeks of the season and then apply that uh, to this tournament. You know, like we said, Duke was rolling through the ACC tournament and then they lay a stinker. Uh, I guess they were due for one. Yeah, that's for sure here. Before we get deeper into the Mars, though, we got some coaching news to get to here. The, the carousel's in full motion here. I, mean, I see you repping the St. John swag on the uh, Zoom call here. So you can, you can talk a little bit about what it means that Rick Patino has chosen to fly to drive about 30 minutes south from, from Wingfoot to start coaching there. Oh, yeah. It's it's an absolute uh, game changer. You know, it's it's been known now for about a week, I think, that uh, it, was, it was likely uh, going to happen. But you know, this was a St. John's program and, and, and school that, you know, has really been irrelevant, you know, not only on a national scale, but even on a local scale for basically the past two decades, you know, haven't won an NCAA tournament game since 2000. They've only been to three NCAA tournaments in that span. Uh, they've, they haven't been to the NCAA tournament since 2019. Like this was a program that needed a jolt. And, you know, they kind of knew if they didn't make the right hire in this cycle, uh, after you know not really hitting on Steve Lavin, after failing miserably with Chris Mullen, and then really failing again with Mike Anderson, you know if they didn't hit a home run in this hiring cycle, uh, it could have gotten really dark for them. They needed to just make the big splash, and they did so. You know Rick Pitino was that guy. I think of all the available coaches out there, Rick Pitino is the one that I think you could say with certainty is going to bring you back to prominence. Um, you know maybe not on a national level. But you should compete for Big East titles now. You should uh, be a regular in the NCAA tournament for the next couple of years, and then and you hope whoever Patino you know passes that down to uh, five six years down the road, hopefully can continue that. So I think in terms of someone to get the St. John's back on track, you can't go wrong with Rick Patino. The money that's going to be coming in through NIL. Uh, through boosters like Mike uh, Rapoli, who is now going to be donating more money to the program. Uh, it's just a game-changing hire, and I'm, I'm shocked that they actually did it because uh, if you would have asked me three weeks ago if they were going to make this move, I would have said absolutely not. Uh, it seemed like it moved very, very quickly, and I think they got the right the right guy, and hopefully some winning follows. Yeah, I mean, from what I gather, he's bringing the whole staff with him from Iona over there, so it sounds like that like you got like options for – you have a coach in waiting, whether Steve Massiello, the former Manhattan coach, Tweek Brown, mm-hmm. the UConn says, I mean, there's options on that staff for a long-term succession plan. But I think also they had to do it, I mean, especially now with the flack they're getting, they're going to get with the uh, Mike Anderson lawsuit, who's he's suing them for, apparently they're trying to fire him with cause so that they don't have to pay mm-hmm. the buyout. So, like, that's a mess. And I think, like, for that point, Patino kind of had him over a barrel. Just they kind of had to do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, allegedly he didn't really want to move too far. Uh, from where he lived, and I think that really worked out for St. John's because, of course, if Rick Pitino is is twenty years younger, you know, even with these uh, past allegations that he's that he's had to deal with, uh, you know, he's probably going wherever he wants to go. You know, it's a school that can pay him a lot more, that has a lot more facilities already in place than St. John's. It was really, you know, a perfect mix for St. John's 
uh, to get this opportunity to hire Patino at this stage in his life and in his career. Uh, and they rightfully took advantage of it. And now, like I said, hopefully, you know, you can make your way back into the NCAA tournament now and just become relevant because, you know, I've never experienced St. John's being relevant. Like I said, not even on the national scale, but on the local scale, uh, they have not really been a relevant program. Uh, no tournament win since 2000, like I mentioned. So hopefully this is the hire that gets them to that place. Yeah, it certainly does here. And then in terms of another biggie's hire, I'll mention real quick before you talk about what happens to Iona next year. Ed Cooley jumping from Providence to Georgetown. Like that one mm-hmm. seems like mm-hmm. shocking, especially considering like I, I can't remember the last time a biggie school poached a coach from another, another biggie school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like something that uh, I can remember at least. And especially in the Big East, you know, a smaller – um, you know, not not a mid-major conference, but certainly not on the level of, you know, the power conferences like the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the uh, SEC. You know, we've seen it happen uh, with, with some of those conferences, but not in the Big East yet. Yeah, very surprising move by uh, by Ed Cooley. I was uh, pretty shocked by it, to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't think it had any legs. And then here we are uh, talking about Ed Cooley to Georgetown. Listen, if there's someone to resurrect the program, you know, Ed Cooley did that, ju- did just that in Providence. It took him a couple of years, but he turned Providence into a perennial, perennial NCAA tournament contender. Uh, he probably felt like, if I'm just guessing here, he probably felt like he kind of hit that ceiling in Providence where, you know, where what else can he, he do there? You know, they're in the NCAA tournament four of every five years, let's say. Um, you know, they made the Sweet 16 last year, but he's probably saying, I don't know if I'll ever be able to maybe compete on a national scale, uh, you know, and, and make, you know, final fours with uh, Providence, even though they do have really good facilities. Um, you know, I, I'm sure he probably said that to himself. And Georgetown, you know, they've been down in the dumps now for the last couple of years under Patrick Ewing, but they do have that money, that capital, those resources to give uh, Ed Cooley what he, what he needs to maybe become a national player. Yeah, I'm going to call this for this shot also here. We're getting a Georgetown Providence CBS uh, game on CBS next season. <laughs> yeah, that will be the uh, the Big East game of the week for sure. Ed Cooley's uh, going to need a lot of security whenever he does return to Providence. Um, going to hear a lot of boos, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, heading back to that campus because you know, I mean, he was like a son to that city. You know, they 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 really uh, took him, and and I, I believe he's he's from that area. You know, he 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 seemed like you know after he was in uh, contention for the Michigan job a couple of years ago. Like he was going to be at Providence for life. So him leaving uh, was just a shock and leaving for a big East school, no less. Uh, and Georgetown, who is, which is kind of, I don't want to say a step down because it's not, but almost a lateral move at this point, uh, even more shocking. So some crazy stuff going on in the big East right now. Yeah. And we'll go back to Iona for a second. Here, Cause I was, they got the Phil Patino shoes. Obviously you're never going to get a coach of that caliber, like in this cycle uh-huh. here, but they like, do have some interesting options. So like, so the early names late to that job here. Tobin Anderson from Fairly Dickens yeah. interviewed there before they hired Patino. And he obviously mm-hmm. now his, res, his stock is sky high. Jared Grosso, mm-hmm. who used to be an assistant there under Clueless set. Now he took Ryan to the NCAA tournament last year after they won one game mm-hmm. three years prior. You've got mm-hmm. some other guys in the mix here. Kamani Young, the assistant at UConn, Rob Jones at mm-hmm. Norfolk State. I feel like this is a good pool for them to pull in from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think when you look at Iona, they have – in place such a, a great structure and a great program. You know, they've they've built such a winning culture there, of course, with Tim Clues and now with Rick Patino, that whoever is coming there, this is not a, a, a big rebuild job, you know, where you're looking at a guy to kind of, you know, change the course of the program, kind of like St. John's and Georgetown, all right? You're looking at a guy who you just kind of want to continue the flow. 
Uh, you would assume that they're not going to recruit at the level that Patino recruited. But, you know, a guy like Tobin Anderson, who just took an FDU team with way less talent than Iona and, you know, won an NCAA tournament, won two NCAA tournament games and beat a number one seed, uh, someone like that would, would certainly be a good idea. But I think Iona is at an advantage, like I mentioned, that they don't need someone that is going to completely turn the program around. They just need someone that's going to kind of steady the course now and uh, keep the ship moving in the right direction, which it has really for the past you know decade or so under Tim Clues, under Rick Pitino. So I think that's where they have an advantage. Yeah, so that's the coaching front. So that's what's going on right there. Now let's get to this tournament here. In terms of the big shocks here, the opening week, I talk about a few here. I mean, we got to start with Purdue here because Purdue going out to Fairleigh Dickinson, like a team that came out of the first four was just like literally like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A team that even shouldn't have even been there. They didn't win their conference tournament. Uh, they, they, they only made it because uh, who was it? Mary Mack or yep. someone was not eligible for the NCAA tournament. They shouldn't have even been there. They're the shortest team in division one. Purdue obviously has Zach Eady, uh, who's going to be the player of the year. And he doesn't take a shot in the final, what, 12 minutes of the game. Uh, just just crazy, mind-boggling uh, about Purdue. But it's like we said, you know, they were a one-man team the entire season. Uh, they needed someone else to step up. And in that game, you know, when Edie was not scoring and, and, and not really shooting in the last couple of minutes of that game, no one else stepped up for Purdue. It's exactly like we said it was going to happen. Uh, we did hit the nail on the head with that one. It's just you know, it's a team that that did not have have I thought the pieces around the player of the year to really make a run. Uh, no one saw them losing in the first round, but I I'm fairly confident that even if they would have gone past uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, they were not going to beat FAU. So uh, they just they just didn't have it. I thought they were the weakest of the one seeds, and I thought they were one of the weaker one seeds that we've seen uh, in recent memory. Yeah, I mean that team like you watch these guys play that game on on Friday mm-hmm. on, on uh, was it Friday night they played I think like, Friday night yeah yeah mm-hmm. like they were scared shitless. Like to yeah, shoot the ball down uh-huh. the stretch. The only guy who was like actually looked like he didn't want the ball was hands this Fletcher Lawyer. And there are multiple times in the program, I think it was like Steve Lazar saying, like, these guys look scared to shoot. Like, that's not a way the place you want to be. Yeah, exactly. And that's a one seed against a 16 seed. Um, you know, and it should be so simple, right? Just get the ball to Zach Eady and, and make him work. But I thought Fairly Dickinson in that game just did an awesome job kind of denying him the ball, uh, knocking the ball out of his hands, you know, you know, getting getting traffic in the paint around him when he did get touches on the ball in those final couple of minutes. And yeah, Purdue just absolutely panicked. You know, they had not, I don't think they had dealt with something like that before. And uh, just, again, credit to Tobin Anderson and Fairley Dickinson for a really good game plan. He called his shot uh, two nights before that saying, you know, the more he sees Purdue, the more he thinks they can uh, beat them. I think that, you know, the national media and, and, and people like us watching games thought Purdue was the most vulnerable of the one seeds. Like I said, I don't think we thought that they were going to go down to a 16 seed, but uh, they definitely seem vulnerable, and uh, and uh, you know they got caught right away. Yeah, it's also not a good run for the for Matt Painter of late. I mean, in the bubble, they lose in the first round, North Texas, 13 seed. Mm-hmm. Last year, they lose this to a 15 seed, St. Peter's, when uh, he doesn't put his two bags on the floor at the same time. This year, they lose to a 16. So <laughs> Matt Painter's not a good run here. No, yeah, and and when you're a head coach that is you know consistently in the NCAA tournament, but you know you're consistently losing games that you are. I think they were an eight-point favorite, a thirteen-point favorite, and a twenty-something point favorite. When you're losing those games, at some point, you know you got to do some soul searching as a program and say like, what's going wrong here? Uh, because you know it's not working out. You know these were three straight Purdue teams that probably felt like they should have been. Well, I know last year they were a second weekend team. You know should have been making deep runs into March, uh, and they were knocked out by three double-digit seeds, a sixteen seed this year, a fifteen seed last year. 
Uh, you know, th- they've had an incredible success in the regular season, getting to the NCAA tournament and becoming a factor in the NCAA tournament, but it just has not translated over. And like I said, at some point, you got to look into your program and say, like, what is going on here? You know, how can we change this? I don't think that you move on from the guy, of course, but I think at some point, you know, the writing might be on the wall if this continues next year, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Here, let's go to Kansas also. Here, I mean, Kansas not have Bill Self either getting a turn. He's still recovering from the medical issue that sidelined him during the, mm-hmm. big, the Big 12 turn. The, during the Big 12 turn, mm-hmm. they win the first game. They struggle with Howard for a little bit. They get by it. They lose to Arkansas. They get bounced out here. Like, what do you think about how, the, how Kansas goes out? Yeah, I, I just think it was tough timing for Kansas, to be honest with you. Uh, tough matchup with Arkansas, who wasn't playing great coming in, but, but uh, you know, Arkansas. I thought played a really, really good game against them. And I just think not having Bill Self might have hurt them as well. The timing of that, you know, losing him uh, during the Big 12 tournament and not having a whole lot of time. You know, a, a lot of this, you know, predicting the NCAA tournament and who's going to make a run kind of comes down to, you know, when are you kind of hit with the injury bug or with the, you know, unforeseen circumstances with Kansas, you know, obviously with Bill Self. Uh, it was probably, you know, for his own good that he was not away from the team and, and recovering. But, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare uh, without him, you know, and to figure out and to kind of get into a flow uh, without him. I think I saw someone bring up a good point. Um, you know, Xavier lost Zach Fremantle earlier in the season. They had, you know, 10 games to kind of get to 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 figuring out how to play without him, how to gel without him. I know that's a player compared to a coach, but I think it's kind of the same thing here with Bill Self. You know, Kansas didn't have a whole lot of time you know when they lost bill self it was going into their conference tournament uh they didn't have a whole lot of time to kind of figure out who they were going to be without their head coach and i just think that's really tough for a young or or, you know a team of college kids you know 19 20 year olds to kind of figure out how we're going to play without our leader who's been leading us now for the past you know six months and for some of these guys last couple of years uh it's just it's tough for those guys to to um to to figure out how to play without him so uh, you know, good, good, good job by them getting through the first game, but unfortunately, uh, their run comes to an end against Arkansas. Yeah, and Arkansas is a team you don't want to see in an eight nine game. You're like this team is highly talented. I mean, they were top ten at one yeah. point this season. Here, this hadn't got it together. The talent is always there. They had to put it together for one game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they and they play a UConn team that you know also at some point this season was uh, top ten. I think you know we're, we're seeing you know UConn, Arkansas, Creighton, who was preseason top ten. These teams had the talent. Like the, these teams, you know, they were they were lower seeds. Obviously, uh, Creighton as what a six seed, uh, UConn as a four, and then and then Arkansas as an eight. You know, these teams were lower seeded, but they've all had you know either preseason expectations of being top ten teams, or at some point during the season being top ten teams. Uh, you know, it's it's surprising seeing them making runs now. Yes, but obviously with they were with where they were ranked at some point this season, the talent was all there for all of those teams. Yeah, absolutely here. And I mean, in terms of, uh, I mean, Ken Palm, especially, I mean, UConn's number four team on Ken Palm going to turn. They were a four seed. And like, if you're poor, I don't know. looking, you're like, how, like, what do we do to deserve that draw? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I, I like, uh, I follow Ken Palm a lot too. And yeah, you know, that's a UConn team. The, the talent is there. The depth is there with UConn. They got, I think, four or five guys off the bench that can kill you. Uh, seeing them in person in the Big East tournament a couple of weeks ago, you know, they just rotate through guys and it seems like everyone on their team can can hit a shot, can come off the bench and hit a shot. Adama Sonogo was just putting up video game numbers in those uh, in their first two games against Iona and then against St. Mary's. So if he keeps playing like that offensively, uh, they're going to be so hard to beat because they have the outside shooting. If they can get the ball inside to him and Klingon, uh, the freshman, they are really, really tough to beat. I think that they actually have a pretty decent draw now. I, I think that they can, you know, I mean, facing Arkansas, like I mentioned, they're a talented team, but you'd still rather face Arkansas than, than Kansas. 
and then we'll see what happens with Gonzaga UCLA. I think UConn is a, is a really really good pick to make a Final Four. Yeah, here. One more big dog went down. You're talking about here Arizona losing to Princeton here, and like this is a team I was not very I was not very thrilled with all year in Arizona because they seem to have issues like we guard play the defense left them at times here, but still mm. losing to Princeton. I mean that's a little that's a little much team for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and. You know, it's it's a it's another letdown for Arizona in the NCAA tournament when they go in as a uh, as a high seed. Um, you know, I, again, I just think it's it's another example of you can't put too much stock into what these teams are doing in their conference tournaments. Uh, I but I personally didn't even think Arizona looked that great in the Pac-12 tournament, especially in the final against UCLA. That was a UCLA team that was was struggling with injuries and guys fouling out in that game and Arizona still barely got by them. Uh, I didn't think it was a very strong uh, South region outside of the one seed, Alabama. You know, look at, you look at the other seeds in that region, Baylor, the three, Virginia, the four and uh, San Diego state, the five, you know, it was not a very strong region in, in terms of the top five seeds. So I thought Arizona might have a shot to maybe make a run to a sweet 16 or an elite eight. But again, they win, they win their conference tournament, but it's it's just hard to put too much stock into that, and they didn't look so great doing so. So uh, obviously surprising that they they fell to the 15 seed. But you know maybe Princeton was a little bit better than we thought, obviously because they just dismantled Missouri in their next game. Yeah. Also, Arizona playing here lost five times outside of quad one games this year. So like it shouldn't be surprised surprised they just didn't show up for a game. And then that's 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 what happens to some of these teams that do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go quickly here. Winners and losers. The first thing. Give me a winner from this first weekend. Besides the obvious ones, like like fairly Dickinson, Princeton. Okay. Yeah, I got one. Uh, Michigan State. Yeah. Uh, big time. Big time winner for me. Uh, I I actually thought this. I believe that you thought it as well that they could. They had a good chance at a, at making a run here. You know, they take down USC in a game that wasn't really that close, and then they kind of surge past Marquette. Uh, again, a Marquette team that looks so good in winning the Big East tournament, and then it just doesn't translate over to the NCAA tournament. Uh, but this is just what Tom Izzo does in March. Uh, he was due for one of these. Uh, they believe they lost pretty early last year. So they were due for like a random Sweet 16 run, it felt like. And, you know, they got a Kansas State team that I think is another winner of this weekend, to be honest, with their win over Kentucky, a game that they were underdogs in. Uh, that's a really fun matchup. And the fact that one of those two teams now is going to be playing for the right to go to a Final Four on, uh, on I, be- I believe, Saturday, yeah. uh, I think Michigan State, you know, they, they, they really impressed me this weekend, especially with that game over Marquette. Yeah, I think in terms of Michigan State, I'll point out here, I mean, this is like a classic Tom Izzo job here. I've mentioned this like on several like written articles here. 25 and 7 is his record when he has less than 40 hours to get ready for an opponent in the NCAA tournament, which is just absolutely <laughs> absurd. He's in his yeah. CBS also put out on the graph on the broadcast weekend. 16 wins, mm-hmm. most all time when as as the lower seed in the NCAA tournament. It's not easy to do. I mean, you're, you're mm-hmm. the lower seed for a reason here. And he does a great job getting these teams ready to game. I agree with you. Whoever wins that K State Michigan State game, I think comes out of that region. Yeah, I think so too. You know, I I, I really like the story of FAU as well, uh, making the Sweet 16 for the first time. Uh, they obviously got a, a really good draw. They could have lost that game to Memphis, to be honest with you, and then they get the 16 seed uh, FDU. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think that the winner of K-State, Michigan State, gets through. But, yeah, that's just what Tom Izzo does. And you looked at that kind of bottom half of that region, and you said, you know, Marquette playing them in the second round. I didn't think Marquette was this unbeatable two-seed like maybe UCLA and Texas were. That was a really good draw for uh, for Michigan State, and they took advantage of it. 
Yeah, I think my big winner for the for the weekend here, I think, is I, I'm going to go with the Big East as a whole because, I mean, aside yeah. from the off-court mm-hmm. stuff here, I mean, UConn looked brilliant. Creighton looked like a Final Four contender here. Xavier looked as, be- as good as they've been in a long time. Even Marquette played very hard in that game. They lost Michigan State. The only one who point was Providence. So Big East had a good week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you know, if, if Marquette closes that game out against Michigan State, the Big East puts – Basically, a quarter of of, of uh, the teams in the Sweet 16 right now are from the Big East, but still, they put in three, and I think all three have a legitimate shot here. Uh, Xavier maybe less so because I think Texas is really good, uh, but you know, you UConn against Arkansas and then Creighton against the 15 seed Providence, the Big East has a shot to put maybe two or even possibly all three of their teams into the Elite Eight now uh, for a conference that you know just continues to grow and get better and and, and just continues to make noise in March. Uh, you know, usually it's Villanova doing so. This year we have UConn returning to the fold, uh, Creighton making another run, and Xavier kind of returning after a couple of years uh, rough. So, yeah, really good weekend for the Big East. Let's go the way. Who is the loser of the weekend? Ooh. Um, you know, I'm going to go a little bit little bit uh, off the beaten path here because there are there's some obvious ones. Obviously, the one seed going down, Arizona. Uh, one that I kind of feel like I, I thought would maybe make a little bit more of a run was Memphis. Uh, they lose that tough game to FAU. Uh, I really, really thought I, I thought they were going to win that game, and then you know I thought they were going to beat Purdue, frankly, and go to the Sweet 16. If they would have won that game, they would have gotten Fairleigh Dickinson, and I'm uh, fairly confident that they would have won that game against uh, against uh, FDU and gone to the Sweet 16, and then had a matchup with Tennessee. Uh, just feels like a missed opportunity for Memphis. Uh, I know that's not you know the traditional ones of you know a big upset or anything like that, but. Man, that would have been a really nice job uh, for Penny Hardaway to to win the conference tournament, and then if they were able to just close that game out against FAU, I think that they could have had a really shot at an Elite Eight and maybe even at a Final Four this year. So that's that's just I don't want to say a loser because they lost a close game. They were you know an eight nine game, but I just feel like that's such a missed opportunity for them. Yeah, I'll throw two out there in terms of loser category. One is Virginia, which obviously. Loses to mm-hmm. Fer- loses to a Furman team that gets blitzed in the second round by San Diego State, which is not a good look for Virginia. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the, the other mm-hmm. one, the Big Ten, as always, because they sent 18 to turn. They got one left. It's Izzo. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, like, with the Big Ten, I, I faded the Big Ten at every chance I got. You know, it, it, with the Big Ten, it's just, it's, it's, I come to expect it now. It's nothing surprising me with them. Every year, the Big Ten is going to get eight, nine, ten teams in, and there's going to, you're going to look up, like you said, in the Sweet 16, they're going to have one or two teams left. It's just, it's just how it goes with them. Uh, they're consistently overrated every single year, and uh, this year was no different. Yeah, Indiana game, like shot at the floor at Miami is not a good look either. Yeah, uh-huh. An Indiana team that uh, I actually thought they were going to get knocked off by Kent State. Yep. I felt less and less confident as that game got closer because it felt like everyone was saying that. But, uh, yeah, and then they, they turned and they just get run, uh, run out of the gym by Miami last night. Yeah, not a good look here. Let's get look ahead now. Look at the Sweet 16. I'm going region by region here. We'll start on mm-hmm. Thursday. Before I get to the actual matches here, do you like the time change here? They have changes now. So last year we were complaining, oh, you know, the 740 game starts like the window too late and the second last game is 10-10. They have actually modified this. They may have listened to us last year. The first game mm-hmm. is, is a 630 on Thursday. Then yep. we have 630 and 9 in the New York pod and 715 and 945 on the other one. I feel like schedule. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as someone who uh, works an early morning shift and needs to go to bed early, uh, that's a welcome change. <laughs> you know, I'll actually be able to watch a good portion of these games. Whereas like you said, if they're starting at 10 o'clock, I'm probably tapping out after, after, you know, 10 minutes of the game. So I'll actually be able to watch. I, I am, I am welcoming that change for sure. Yeah. Plus it's nice to start it earlier because I mean, like, like what are we waiting for here? Why are we like, very yeah. uh-huh. that late game? Uh-huh. 
yeah. Yeah, especially especially the New York pod. Like let's let's you know six thirty is perfect. Let's do that. Yeah, so we'll start here. The East and West pods are up here. First on Thursday mm-hmm. on Thursday here. Michigan State, K State, Florida Atlantic, Tennessee. How do you feel about this pod? Yeah. Um, I mean, a little bit of a letdown in terms of the the teams that are in it. You know, when you look and you know, you could have had, you know, Duke, I guess Purdue, Memphis, Kentucky, uh, Michigan State, you know, there's some big brands that could have possibly uh been playing in this. It's not the most sexy games in the world, FAU, Tennessee, and then uh and then K State. Michigan State, but at the end of the day, I think it should be two pretty good uh, games. Uh, you know, those are four teams that I don't think, I, I mean, really anyone or not a lot of people expected to be playing for a right to go to the Final Four. I know Kansas State has a three seed, I would say possibly, but, you know, those other three teams, probably not so much. So, you know, you've got someone who's, who's going to make this run and a, and a miraculous run at that. Uh, we already talked about Izzo. I thought Kansas State was really impressive in their game against Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee, we touched on as well, and, and, and FAU. You know, this is kind of an, another test for FIU now against a really physical Tennessee team. So uh, I'm not sure who I like to get out of that. Uh, I don't know if you can bet against Michigan State, to be honest with you. Kansas State is probably the favorite, but should be should be a couple of good games. You know, Kansas State actually the underdog in that game. Oh, are they really? Yeah, they have Michigan State fair by two. Wow. Kansas State's getting disrespected this whole tournament. You know, underdogs against Tennessee and now underdogs again. Yeah. Uh, I might, yeah, I might have to I, look into that one. Yeah. That's, that's, that's odd. Yeah, I feel like Jerome, like Jerome Tang, has that circle and pinned to his bulletin board locker, saying nobody respects us. Like we're underdogs. Yeah, against, yeah. Against a six and a seven. So, like, come on. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're playing these big brands and they're underdogs in every one. Yep, absolutely. I think I would. I think I agree with you here. I think whoever wins that game comes out of the region. Like I had K stakes. I'm gonna stick with it. But as a guy who likes Sparty, I'd be happy I'm wrong on that one. Yeah. Uh huh. I think the winner of that one has a really good shot. Yeah. The other pod here. The. CBS pod, the West region here, Arkansas, UConn first, 7-15, then Gonzaga, UCLA the game week. This region, like, if I could, like, add the money to drop to fly to Vegas, buy tickets, and, like, get a hotel and go out watch these games, I would definitely do it. Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely my favorite uh, uh, pod of the of the uh, upcoming weekend. Arkansas, UConn should just be an awesome game. Like, like I mentioned, two teams that uh, have that top 10 talent that are probably a little bit underseeded for – you know, the talent that they have and for what some of the metrics say, uh, Arkansas getting by Kansas, UConn just, you know, blitzing their first two opponents uh, in Albany. That's going to be a really, really fun game. And then I think Gonzaga-UCLA is just the game of the tournament. You know, two West Coast brands, uh, two big-time schools fighting for a chance to go to the Elite Eight. Uh, I really like UCLA. They just keep dealing with injuries and they just keep winning. <laughs> the UCLA, they just have this adversity, they have these injuries, and they keep winning it's a Gonzaga team that has just totally flown under the radar so far. I feel like this entire season, uh, you know, obviously playing in the WCC helps that, but they have just totally flown under the radar. They're a three seed. Their first two games uh, haven't been the most eventful in the world. You know, they've been in that kind of late night spot both times. Uh, so this is going to be a really, really fun game. I am really looking forward to Gonzaga UCLA. Uh, I like UCLA, but I also think UConn could get out of this region. I think it's going to be UConn UCLA. Uh, I picked UConn, so I'll stick with that. But uh, I, I, I'm just, I, I really think that you can make a case for all four of these teams to go to the Final Four. Yeah, I do have a future on UCLA to win the title, so I'm still happy about that one. They're in my Final Four, so I'm going to keep riding with that one. But I will point out here, uh-huh. Gonzaga, the thing I don't like about them is I don't think they have the kind of dynamic guard play you need to win in this tournament. I feel like that's going to be a big mm-hmm. issue here against the team that defends well as UCLA does. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, they are a little bit too reliant on guys like Drew Timmy. Um, they don't have those real playmakers like we've seen in years past with these Gonzaga teams, really over the last two years. Um, so that yeah, that could be a problem. But 
man, UCLA has just been so impressive to me, just fighting through all these injuries and and, and still coming out and, and with relative ease making it through to the Sweet 16. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the South region. That kicks off Friday night on TBS. They're out in Louisville here. San Diego State, Alabama, Princeton, Creighton. These two games, I feel like I end up being both blowouts in my opinion. I, th- I think so, too. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I was going to mention, you know, San Diego State, listen, impressive to get there for sure. Uh, they beat a Charleston team that maybe was a little bit overseeded. Uh, they get by them, and then they run through a Furman team that, you know, I think it's, like we said, it says more about Virginia uh, that they lost that game to Furman in a game that just was never close. Uh, so San Diego State probably the the uh, beneficiary of maybe some some uh, seeding and some upsets. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Alabama's going to cruise past them. Alabama's been really impressive. Uh, obviously, their first game against the 16th seed, you throw that out. But against Maryland, that game was never really – close you know they kept them at an arm's length uh the entire way and you know in 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 a in a first and second round where really all the other one seeds we're going to touch on houston in a second you know houston went uh was down 10 at the half kansas goes down purdue goes down in the first round you know some two seeds get knocked out as well arizona and marquette you know with all the one seeds struggling uh alabama's kind of rolled through this so far and i think that they're definitely the favorite in this region uh, I think Creighton, like you said, will probably, you know, with with uh, a couple of days, what's that, four days to, uh, to game plan for uh, for Princeton, they probably roll past them. But Alabama-Creighton should be a pretty good game if we get that. I do think that Alabama, though, is a pretty clear favorite here. Yeah, I think the ter- the pr- in terms of the Princeton-Creighton game, I think the thing that, like, a wise person once said, I forget who it was, said here, like, when you have two programs who play the same way, Take the higher octane model. I feel like Princeton's like ultimate upside is they want to be Creighton, and Creighton is like the bigger, stronger version of that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point there. Yeah, Creighton's going to get up down the court, and uh, yeah, eighty five points against Baylor. That was an impressive game. I thought that Baylor team was a little bit uh, too high, higher seated than they should have been as well. Uh, but yeah, Cre- uh, if it is Creighton in Alabama, I would really look forward to that in the Elite Eight. Absolutely. Here, I'm going to the uh, the West, the Midwest region, the last one. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this yet, but. CBS is sending out Jim Nance the last time. I let him call every Houston game he can possibly. That's where the best spot they sent him to. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, just listen. With Nance, obviously, he's a he's a legend, and uh, you know, Final Four is in Houston as well, so that works out for them. I think it's going to be a Houston homecoming, though. I picked them to win the whole thing, and uh, you know, I, I think that they get to the Final Four out of this region. I think that they they're the best team, but I, I think they were just in a collision course right now for a Houston, Texas, Houston, Texas, uh, elite eight game. That's going to be awesome. Uh, really love Texas. What they did. Dylan DeSue was incredible in that game against Penn state down the stretch, really just put them on his back and carried them in a game that they really could have lost. And I thought we learned a lot about Houston in that game, just absolutely torching Marquette or uh, Auburn in the second half, you know, down by 10 at the half. And they win that game going away in the second half against a a pretty solid Auburn team. Uh, Two really impressive games. I mean, you could really make the case that everyone in this region has won or remaining in this region has won impressively going in with Miami uh, surging past Indiana and then Xavier, you know, getting by Pitt pretty easily as well. So everyone in this region is playing really, really solid basketball right now. But I just think Houston and Texas are the two best teams. Uh, I think that they're headed for a collision course, and I think it's going to be Houston in the end. Yeah, I think I agree with you on the sense here in terms of like these two teams, I think are very similar talent based. But I think the coaching edge with Kelvin Sands is one of the best coaches in the country has not won a title yet compared to Ingram Roddy Terry's done a great job there. I just think that's going to be the difference in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and March is just, it's all about the storylines, you know, with, with March Madness. 
And, uh, you know, Kelvin Sampson, like we said, getting that getting that title, Houston going home, kind of the culmination of a couple of years of, of um, you know, really solid play for Houston, making the Final Four, then making the Elite Eight. Uh, you know, it just it feels like it's it's the time for Houston. And it feels like for Houston, if it's not going to be now, you know, to win a national title, when is it going to be? All the, the chips are aligning here. Uh, they had some injury concerns, obviously, but I think those are a little bit past them now with how they kind of respond in that second half against Auburn. So I think this is the time for Houston. Yeah, and don't forget, they're going to the Big 12 next year, so it's not going to be easy to pile the resume that they had as they did this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, that's a, big, that's a big thing to note as well. Yeah, and we have to pick a Final Four today here. Who are you going with? Okay, well, I'm going to stick with the the teams that I I predicted at the start. So I had Alabama, I had Houston, and I had UConn. Uh, so I'm going to stick with those three. And then uh, in the East, I, I guess I'd go with I guess I'd go with Kansas State. Uh, I do like what I said. I think the winner of that game makes it through. Uh, it's it's so hard to bet against Izzo, but man, Kansas State really impressed me with how they came back uh, past Kentucky. And uh, so I would go with Kansas State as my fourth team coming to the East. Yeah, well, I mean, my bra- my bracket's not wrong yet, so I'm going to stick with what I have. Got to stick so, with it, yeah. yeah so I had mm-hmm. Alabama, Houston, UCLA, and K State. That's the final four mm-hmm. prediction here. So we'll see how many of them actually make it through here, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like I'm a little, I feel like really about the two ones. I'm not as sure about the other two teams. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I think I think Houston and I. Well, I think Alabama's going through. Uh, Houston could get picked off by Texas, maybe. And, uh, yeah, that, that West region is so wide open because I really think any of those four teams could make a run. I do feel bad for Craig. I feel like if Craig was any of the other three they could have get to the Final Four. I just don't think – I think the match with Alabama is bad for them. I agree, yeah. Uh, yeah, Alabama just – I think Alabama is far and away the best team in the uh, in the South. Yeah, absolutely. Here, So, Troy, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. We want to go, let you go – keep up with you on social media. Keep up with some of the stuff you're doing. How do they do that? Yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Troy Moriello, T-R-O-Y. M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. Um, do the St. John's Seeing Red podcast. Uh, might be bringing that back now at some point this week with the uh, addition of Rick Pitino. Might have to get my thoughts out there on that. So definitely check that out if you're a St. John's fan. Yeah, I'm assuming we're going to wait till after the press conference to uh, get your thoughts on that. I think so. Yeah, we're going to hear what he has to say during the press conference. Maybe let the dust set a little bit. Uh, let me collect my thoughts because I'm still very emotional right now about this. So I got to collect my thoughts. And then, uh, and then yeah, maybe later, later in the week we'll have something coming out. Yeah, sounds good, Troy. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Mike. The two minute drill. All right, two minute drill time. The World Baseball Classic's almost over. I've never really gotten into it over the years. I will admit, I'll put my bias up front here. I'm salty as a Met fan because Edwin Diaz got hurt celebrating in it. I understand the players love this event, and it draws a ton of interest worldwide. I mean, in the U.S., not as big a deal because, I mean, you got a lot going on right now. you got March Madness going on. you got the stretch run of the NBA and the NHL seasons. But people love this thing. The big issue I have with the event in general is that it takes place in spring training. Well, WBC games are no doubt more exciting than spring training games. I'm not going to argue that. I can't take a like, competition that the league is trying to say is this is the World Cup of Baseball. I can't take it seriously when we have inning restrictions and pitch counts on the top starters and pitchers in this game. Remember early tournament? You would say the pull dead only after one pitch in the eighth inning because the Brewers wouldn't let him go wouldn't let him go back to back innings yet. Or all the starting pitchers are running into pitch count issues. There's reason on the bigger stars the US won't go, especially on the pitching side. I mean, we heard Max Scherzer talk about this, how you use spring training as his ramp up time. This is not a time he's ready to go playoff intensity in the middle of March. That's a lot of a thing here. That's a big issue. The injury is also a big problem. 
especially when you've seen guys like Edwin Diaz, Jose Altuve, who broke his thumb in the semifinal, in the quarterfinal loss to the U.S. You're going to miss regular season time for these, these exhibition games designed to just make the league money. And the Astros not going to get like really much out of missing Altuve for two months or the Mets missing Diaz for the whole season. The solution here is obvious because I know this thing is it's not going anywhere. You need to do this after the season's over. The Olympics for the M- basketball take place after the NBA season, and you still get all the big stars to go every four years. The MLB is not going to do the NHL approach and stop their mid their uh, season in the middle of the summer to send the players to the Olympics or run this instead of the All-Star game one year. They're never going to do that. You're already doing this mostly in warm weather cities in the U.S. or Japan or Korea in domes, so on and so forth. Why not just do it after the World Series and keep the baseball guys engaged longer? It's a two-week tournament. It's not a month. You avoid March Madness, which is drawing people away from this. If you're juggling off this time of year, you don't have to deal with the injury restrictions or pitch counts for guys who are fully stretched out into game shape. The guys get hurt in this thing also. They would not kill a team season. It's a lot of the rehab work we've done in the offseason. If Edwin Diaz gets hurt in the, in the World Baseball class on November 15th, he misses eight months like so he's going to do with this injury. Be back for the match around the All-Star break. Edwin Diaz getting hurt on March 15th, that cost the Mets a chance to win the World Series, potentially. That's a big problem. Will baseball ever do this? Hell no, they won't. Baseball's not forward thinking like that. Just remember that these injuries happen in 2027 when see start seeing some of these teams be more hesitant to let their guys go to this event. You might see more of this, you know, like, hey, I value our season. I want to participate in our season, especially from the U.S. guys. So this event might lose some luster going forward. That's unfortunate. With that, I want to end the show. If we want to thank our guest, Troy Moriel, for hopping on the podcast to talk all things March Madness. A lot of fun stuff there. If you want to work on something like this podcast, including my full March Madness bracket I put out prior to the tournament, and I always put it out for the sake of, you know, being accountable here. And it's doing pretty good so far. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. We have our Mandalorian coverage. We those episodes early on the Sky Guys feed. You can check that out over there. Plus, our Bad Batch coverage. We've got a couple episodes left in the season, so all that fun stuff on the Sky Guys feed. So follow us on Twitter, me on Twitter, MPHIPS331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. That's going to do for this week's episode of the podcast. Kind of next, we're going to get you ready for opening day. A little MLB preview stuff here. More March Madness with Troy and more. So we have a better week than Purdue fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.